House of Cards Chapter 54 is over, but we're just getting started here on the House of Cards post-show recap. And now, here are the two guys who are all hopped up on candy corn. Yeah, somebody's eating it. I'm Rob Sestrino. Here's Zach Brooks. Yeah, I actually like uh, candy corn, Rob. Get out. Get out. No, it's good stuff. <laughs> it's No. I'm not going to seek it out, but, uh, you know, if it's, if it's on somebody's desk, I'll, I'll enjoy some candy corn in October. I think I may have at one point just like tr- tasted one, like cracked a tooth, and I think that was it. They're soft. There's no way you can crack a tooth. It's like a jelly bean. Oh, you can crack a tooth, baby. Oh, man. You must freeze your candy corn. That's a good way to make it last longer. <laughs> wow. What a uh, terror-filled Halloween on House of Cards. I like when they do a theme episode. Yeah, it was a, a very special, spooky, spectacular Yes. So what are we going to do? Like the season two is just going to be each day until the election. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if uh, it was Devil's Night in the first episode. Mm-hmm, yeah. So I, we might have jumped. I mean, what? So it's it's October 31st now and uh, the election is sometime All Saints in early Day, next episode. Oh, man. <laughs> Look out. I hope that we can, uh, you know, in season 10, we can get to Black Friday by the end of November. <laughs> yeah. So we got a lot of stuff coming up here where uh, really we got some uh, vintage Underwood uh, coming up. And uh, I, uh, re- my favorite scene so far of Frank uh, with all the governors. Uh, Frank is also very upset. We lost our good buddy Tim and uh, we had uh, McAllen up to some crazy tricks trying to uh, hack all of D.C. and everybody getting alerts on their phone uh, and Ultimately, uh, we have our uh, Conway, candidate Conway, cracking by the end of the episode. Like my tooth on that candy corn. <laughs> exactly. It, it, yeah. I mean, uh, maybe they need to freeze Conway as well. And he can keep cracking things. Okay. Uh, so first off, uh, first of two episodes here in this podcast, we're going to do chapter 54 first. Then uh, we are going to watch episode uh, of 55, chapter 55, and then come back and talk about that. So no spoilers yet on episode chapter 55. Zach, uh, did you like chapter 54 more than chapter 53? Yeah, I thought, um, you know, I feel like we're a lot more back into the world of House of Cards. I feel like in the premiere, I was still kind of getting getting yeah. my feet wet. But now we're now we're full in with, you know, long Frank monologues and Frank schemes that come together by the end of the episode. And uh, I'm just hoping my Internet holds up uh, here in D.C., though. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully it will. Yeah, and I enjoyed this episode more as uh, as well, whereas I felt like that uh, in Chapter 53, I definitely was like, do I want more political stuff? But what I did today was I watched Chapter 54 of House of Cards and I didn't watch Morning Joe. So I think I got the right real life House of Cards balance back in my favor. Yeah, just forget all of the real life news. Don't watch any of that. And uh, just watch this fictional world of uh, the Underwood administration. Yes, I'm going to just be subscribed to House of Cards Twitter, where I'll just get updates on what Frank Underwood is up to now. Like, oh, oh, oh is Ico on the move? Yeah, you, you got to tread lightly with the House of Cards Twitter because they like to tweet GIFs and uh, they don't respect our chewing your food schedule of watching House of Cards. Yeah. Now, is it just me? Or it, for a uh, terrorist organization, is Ico pretty toothless, much like me after that candy corn? I mean, <laughs> it seems like that Frank Underwood is doing much more. Yeah, sure. Ico, they did. They got that one guy. They, there was a beheading. I'm not going to deny that. But in terms of being a real threat, is Ico actually up to anything? 
I mean, you know, they might be biding their time. Hopefully they're not plotting some huge attack uh, that, you know, really makes this Internet attack pale in comparison. Although, um, you know, much like, you know, we see ISIS, you know, I, I, I don't really want to get too much into the real life ISIS, but we do see them claim responsibility for things where people are like, I don't know if they actually did that or, or facts come out and say that it wasn't actually them. Uh, maybe they're just going to take this opportunity and say, yeah, sure, that was us. Yeah. Well, it'd be interesting if Ico comes out and says like, nope, that was not us that uh, we did not hack anything. So I don't know. So you think that they just like uh, their natural impulse that's sort of like in the the, the handbook of even if you didn't do something, then you want to uh, like always uh, reverse Urkel. And uh, yeah, I, I did do that. Yeah, exactly. The reverse circle. I like that. Yeah. Interesting. The reverse Ico. Reverse Ico. Uh, I desperately want to talk about Ico Wong, but uh, I will not uh, get into that, uh, unfortunately, for you uh, Big Brother Canada fans. Okay. So, chapter 54. I guess uh, let's start with uh, Frank's uh, chicanery here. Um, how great was the scene with him with the governors? Oh, it was so good. I mean... Did you know immediately when he starts saying blah, 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 BS, 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 did, did you know that that he wasn't still talking to them? Mm, I, it took me a minute to pick up on it. I thought he was just going to be like an, uh, an article, blah, 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 and then uh, who gives a rat's ass? I thought he was going to say, let's just get this done. Go-. Like I thought he was, you know, just making a point to them. But no, he's making a point to us. Yeah, it was very it was very seamless. And uh, I, I loved it. He's just kind of parading around the room. Everybody's frozen. It was like a it was like a Zach Morris, uh, you know, calling time out and walking around and then, you know, talking about how uh, Conway's boy wonder and Matthews is the pen stealer really, really has a long memory for things that happened in season one. Remembering the pen thief. Yeah. No, uh, good work there uh, by Frank Underwood. Um, Just a a quick aside. Have you noticed any sort of like fall off or anything uh, with the departure of Bo Willimont uh, here in season five? I'm trying to figure out if it feels like more kind of soapy and ridiculous than it has in previous seasons. Um, But I mean, you know, a little bit there, but otherwise, you know, so far so good, I think. Yeah, so far so good. I don't notice anything different. This is not uh, seemingly Dan Harmon leaving community where it's like, uh, okay, this is uh, a lot different here or they're trying to do something and it's not working. I mean, it seems just about the same to me. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we you know, if we see House of Cards show up on Yahoo, then we can start worrying. Yes. Uh, so far, so good with uh, House of Cards staying with Netflix. But uh, yeah, Frank, I mean, he just calls all the governors there. And uh, I guess, you know, we saw it in Chapter 53. But, you know, Frank said he's not going to campaign anymore. I mean, th- this is the I think the most unrealistic thing to me about anything like so the presidential election is in two weeks and nobody's campaigning. We are under, you know, we're in war. We we've declared war on ICO. This is serious business. I mean, no time for the silliness of campaigning right now. Just go with your gut. I mean, Frank Underwood is declaring war, but I mean, it does seem weird. I mean, it's such a tightly contested race. I mean, Conway is out there trick or treating on Halloween night. I mean, I think Conway's put in a difficult situation where, um, you know, Conway Conway could go out there and campaign, but he would look really bad. And so they they both, I think, have to use these tactics where they're still working on their campaigns, but they're not 
outwardly, you know, out doing rallies or or sending canvassers out to campaign for them. So it's a weird way to be as we head into the deadline of this election. I don't think that this would actually happen. I I think if this was real, Conway would be out there with these crowds and he would be saying like, uh, like, uh, I am the much better candidate to deal with Ico. I I will wipe Ico off the map. You know, I think that he would try to out hawk him, especially, you know, in the way that this is sort of set up where Frank Underwood is the Democrat and you have uh, where Conway is the leader of the Republican. Party, which is traditionally much more hawkish in terms of, you know, military and defense. And uh, especially the fact that he is this uh, person who is a military veteran. And it seems like that that's going to be a plot point as well. I just don't know why Conway isn't out there trying to drum up support that he will be better equipped. You know, it was on Frank Underwood's watch that all this stuff happened because of, uh, you know, Frank Underwood's bumbling administration uh, that he allowed Ico to develop a presence on our soil where he's going to come in and he's going to, you know, get things right. Yeah, I mean, that, you know, if we had uh, Rob has a campaign firm that we could put in charge of the Conway campaign, I think that's really good messaging. And that's all stuff he should be talking about. Um, But I think he does have to tread lightly and not look like, uh, you know, he is he's not having respect for some of these attacks that have happened. And um, I mean, we did in real life see something similar just happen in in uh, in Great Britain after the attack, the the campaigning was put on hold. I don't know how long they put their campaign on hold, but I mean, this. This does happen. I mean, certainly like uh, if there was, you know, in 2001, if the election was going to be right after, you know, that uh, an event like a 9-11, I think they would push the election back. But if they're not pushing the election back, you would think people would be out there campaigning. In 2004, you know, uh, both George Bush and John Kerry were, you know, we were in the midst of, you know, the uh, you know first uh, couple of uh, years of the Iraq war. We were, you know, in the in the midst of like, you know, a highly contested uh, military campaign uh, and, you know, one that was uh, unpopular at the time, I think. Uh, my memory is a little, you know, uh, it's a little, a little fuzzy. Yeah. But, you know, everybody was, you know, was out there um, and like there actually was a war going on. So. I don't know. It seems weird that like the, you know, Frank Underwood has declared war. There was a beheading on American soil. And, you know, I guess that there are some of these uh, incidents going on. Yeah. I mean, um, I think Conway is getting to the end of his nerve by the end of this episode, though. So maybe we will see Conway start start fighting back a little bit because I think he's getting sick of being pushed around. And um, I mean, we did see, you know, we did see the general on Fox News. So they're still out there. They're still public. But, um, you know, they're not they're not having any rah rah rallies right now. Okay. Um, and, and it's going to be much tougher to campaign with no internet. Okay. So can you explain what Frank Underwood and Doug are up to in terms of consolidating uh, these swing state votes? Yeah. So um, the the five states, there was New Jersey, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Illinois. And they want to, what they've, they've told these, these states is that you're the most uh, threatened states by, by ICO, specifically these areas, the, these specific population areas. And so we want to have armed guards so there are safe places for people to vote, um, and which, of course, is going to scare people because if they make a place look like it's a target, then you know they're, they're thinking is that wealthy Republican voters are not necessarily going to go visit. That's and, the and plan. Vote. 
That's yeah, what, they're trying to keep the like. There's going to be rich white people that are going to say, "Hey, I got too much to lose. I can't afford to like, uh, you know, put my life on the line and go vote." Yeah, exactly. It's like the opposite of, of voter suppression that that we do hear about, where they're trying to keep Republicans from voting so that the Democrat wins. Mm-hmm. Now, I think you know, I think this plan is a little short sighted. Like, if they, I, I like the idea. But I think that really, I mean, why would you just pick the five swing states and the five most Republican districts in those swing states? Why wouldn't you, you know, throw a couple red herrings in there so it's not so obvious? And somebody even brought up, they said, these are our most Republican areas in these swing states. It makes the plan very transparent. To me, uh, I almost feel like that this sounds almost the same exact way that you would hear stories in real life to do voter suppression to, uh, you know, drive away the Democratic vote. Right. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, you do hear about it. It's just kind of turned the other way. It's like a reverse Urkel. Yeah. Like, I feel like that going into the 2016 election. I remember hearing stories about that there were going to be people that were going to be, you know, set up outside of polling places and they were going to be bringing firearms and they were saying, oh, this is they're trying to keep the Democratic vote out. Yeah. And I think it was also, you know, a lot of the voter suppression stuff has to do with uh, requiring forms of ID and making it more difficult to register to vote. So this isn't exactly the same as what we see in real life, which uh, I appreciate that they are trying to differentiate a little bit what's going on in the show and what's going on in real life. Okay, All right. Um, Well, we'll just take Frank Underwood's uh, word for it. We don't need to really nitpick the plan. Um, yeah, that's probably best not to nitpick the politics and policy in the okay. show sometimes and just go with the go just go with the backroom dealings. But what do you do you think that's a good plan? Do you think this is a this is a way that Frank can can win this election? Um, I guess so. Uh, it seems like he's got to like make a lot of deals to ultimately uh, make this happen. But I guess that's sort of par for the course. You know, everybody wants something. So you got to give and uh, make everybody happy to be able to get your way on this show. Yeah, I think he figures that if he keeps everything as is and doesn't do any more campaigning and then just suppresses some of these voters who would have voted against him, that uh, he will have a clean sweep and a run to the finish. Okay, so talk to me about what is going on with McAllen, because I am really having a hard time following. (laughs) What are we covering up? What are we trying to do? Uh, is Is it working what McAllen is doing? I do not know by the end of the episode what he did, like when he sends the message that says, here's your fix or, you know, fill Mm -hmm. the hole or whatever he says. I mean, the the dude is so skittish. He really could be a character on Mr. Robot. Yeah, Um, I think, you know, I think Mr. McCallan, what did he do? He so he shut down the telecom. No, I I understand like that that they shut everything down. But what what was it that he did in the first place that he's covering his tracks of? So they in the last season, they did surveillance and they were gathering information about people to help with Frank's campaign and to help with what he should be talking about and how he should be, um, you know, how he should be messaging out there. And now the NSA is on to them and they're trying to cover their tracks. Okay. All right. Did it so work? He needed to, I mean, we'll see. He needed to shut down this uh, whatever this this circuit or this this telecom system, which shut all the which shut everybody's phones down. And uh, and then he when that was shut down, he was able to delete all of his history and his files. And, and I was expecting as that was going on, you saw the progress bar going across uh, across the screen. I thought he was definitely going to get busted. It was actually 
pretty suspenseful scene. I thought they did a good job with that. Yeah, he did a good job with that. And they shut everything down in D.C. And ultimately, uh, Frank Underwood is able to uh, point the finger once again at Ico and uh, what they're up to. Uh, wreaking havoc. Talking about uh, those Ico terrorists. They are uh, telling people on their phone that the zombies are on their way. Uh, really, uh I mean, um, you don't really see that a lot where they're sort of like uh, messing with you on, on a theme of a Halloween uh, prank from Ico. Yeah, no, it was, uh, you know, the zombie attack and there was the blood that was coming from the cemetery. And, um, you know, I, I thought that was, that was, you know, Ico's having a little bit of fun with this attack. Yeah. They're not they're not taking it as seriously as some of the other ones. I mean, that in the true spirit of the holiday, uh, <laughs> trick or treat, uh, Ico, you know, they're very they're a very tricky group. They're going to like uh, pull some uh, Halloween pranks on you. Uh, you have candy for us? No. OK, well, uh, first we're going to TP the, your house and then you get a uh, prank text message. How about some candy corn to go with it instead? Yeah. That works. It's candy. That's how they get you. Yeah. 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 Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So let's uh, talk about the relationship of uh, Frank Underwood and Tim. We saw this way back in season one. And then uh, that also uh, came up, uh, what was it, season two, season three, somewhere else along the way. Uh, Frank Underwood had, uh, for I guess we should remind people for the uh, listeners who don't have uh, that long of a memory, but Frank Underwood had a classmate that was uh, more than a friend. They were sort of like, what are they, fraternity brothers, but they had this uh, connection. I think they kissed in the first season when they were uh, revisiting the Citadel. Yeah, and a... Uh and they also kind of imply that they spent the night together, too, because they woke up the next day next to each other in that episode. So, well, um, yeah, they, now they look, were definitely hey, more than friends. Zach, that what happens at the Citadel stays at the Citadel. <laughs> OK, that's uh, yeah. I mean, you know, just you go back to college and you relive those college years. Mm-hmm. Even and- if you're there for the, the announcement of a library in your name. I, I wasn't quite sure. Did Claire know about this? Like, did uh, she seemed like that she was certainly concerned that this guy that she sees in the subway is going to uh, tell everybody. But did she was she fully aware of all this? I think that she, this was a surprise to her, which I don't know how this would be a surprise after what happened during the three chum. Um, but, you know, she didn't seem to know this. And. And maybe she was just putting on an act and was really trying to act like she didn't know it. But, um, you know, I, I got the read that that this was a surprise, at least maybe that Tim was somebody special in, in Frank's life like this. Yeah. Honestly, that for this to come out for Frank Underwood at this point in time, I think that this would be a welcome distraction for the news. And you've said that in the past. Mm-hmm. You've always said that this would yeah. be a good thing for. Hey, maybe for Frank I'm just you know I'm so forward thinking that I feel like that this would be a net positive for Frank Underwood. But I mean, uh, talking about uh, you know Frank Underwood, you, you know uh, was um, you know has some uh, curiosities in terms of his sexuality. I feel like that that's a net positive compared to some of the other things that he they could be talking about on the news. Well, and especially, you know, if if Tim is dead, which I, we can talk about that, I, I'm not sure if the if Tim is actually going to end up being dead or not. Um, but if he is, you know, they can talk about how how Frank's longtime, you know, secret lover 
has has been killed and drums up even more sympathy for Frank and, and gets people on his side. Right. Especially if the story is, hey, when Frank Underwood was in college that, uh, you know, he was fooling around with a male friend. And, uh oh, you know, if, if that's the story, you know, so what? I kind of feel like if the story is, you know, Frank Underwood had an extramarital affair with a man back uh, before he became vice president of the United States. I feel like that that's a, a you know, uh, the adultery part of the story. And then then you factor in the Yates part of the story where it's like, oh, and by the way, uh, that uh, President Underwood's uh, wife and uh, future vice president of the United States, Claire Underwood, she's having an extramarital affair in front of Frank Underwood and uh, he knows about it. And you know what? Let's get these uh, pervert weirdos out of here. They're just, you know, they're just swinging in the White House. Yes. Let let them, you know what, as long as they run the country well, whatever they want to do behind closed doors, that is their marriage. Right. But, you know, they have, they have a very open, they have a very open marriage. And so, um, I would be surprised. Yeah. And I would be surprised if Claire didn't know this, but she did seem genuinely shocked. Are, is America ready for that? I feel like they're not. Ready for a swinging, swinging right. uh, first couple? Open marriage of, you know, the president and vice president engaging in uh, this uh, very complicated relationship. I mean, they're already married as president and vice With president. With a senior so staffer. Already, right. Yeah, it's already, it's already complicated. You know, this is like, you know, it's just like Game of Thrones. Right. We know it's complicated, but is America ready to reelect uh, the Underwoods under these terms? Well, that's a lot to come out in two weeks. Yeah. You know, the Yates thing. I mean, I don't think the Yates thing is coming out before the election. Oh, I think we we saw that uh, that other reporter show up and like asking a bunch of questions. Yeah. But I I mean, I think it's all coming out. It's all coming out in two weeks. Yes. All right. Hey, that's like 10 episodes of the show. Yeah, that is true. It might not be till next season. Yeah. Uh, who is this guy? So uh, I wrote in my notes when he showed up to have the meeting with Yates. I wrote, uh, who is this douche? Yeah, he's a uh, a former bandmate of Yates's. Uh, I wrote down cool reporter dude. Uh, his name his name is Steve. Yeah. And yeah, so, so Steve, uh, he knows Yates. And he was talking about what's going on. And he said that he's a mouthpiece uh, for the uh, first lady slash uh, VP candidate. And is that is that all you are? Mouthpiece? Like, hey, now, like, uh, all right, you're you're an a-hole, Yates says. Yates, Yates says that he articulates her mind and heart or articulates their mind and heart. Mm-hmm. And uh, and Steve asks if uh, he's in charge of any other parts. Yeah. It was like, come on, man, that's. You know, low blow, low blow. Yeah. That. Hey, yeah. hey. Um, <laughs> interesting. Yep. So uh, I, I do think that this is all eventually coming out. But uh, I do think that the Underwoods have been able to spin out a worse trouble than uh, than this. Yeah. I mean, this would be this would be like level one crisis for them. They'd, they'd figure that out pretty quickly. Yeah. If any of this stuff got and they have to. I mean, you would think that when Claire started this, that they thought through a contingency plan if things fall through. I mean, Yates seems like a really big loose end to me. And um, we did see in this episode even that that Claire doesn't like loose ends. So, um, you know, he might have a tight end on screen, but he's a, oh. he's a loose end in the Underwood uh, administration. Well, are you saying that he could be whacked? Do you think he could get taken off the board, Yates? 
Not necessarily, but I think that they have a plan for if this ever came out. Okay. Um, I don't think it would be a great comparison. Also, I'm not sure how it would play uh, in uh, the heartland, uh, the comparison between, you know, the very traditional family of Conway, Schmoopy Conway and the kids. And then uh, you've got, uh, you know, uh, Frank and Claire swinging in the White House. Yeah, but they're not a traditional family. Any, I mean, they're you know they never had kids or anything like that. I mean, we've already seen that comparison where we have or the contrast that we have the Conways with their their perfect two point five kids and their you know beautiful house and and then we got Frank and Claire who are older people who never had children and and don't have that same kind of set yeah. uh, heartland way. So, okay. I mean, do you think it would ever come out and be any kind of controversy that Conway's wife is uh, has a British accent and is. British, I would assume. <laughs> no, I don't think that that's going to. Why? Do you feel like that that's the storyline that we're working towards? I don't. I just think it's interesting that they chose a British actress to play her. Yeah. I, I you know what? I think, Zach, take my word on this 2016, that we are in a post caring about a first lady accent <laughs> world. Okay. Nobody's worried about it. Yeah. I guess, uh, you know, I guess the first lady might have an accent. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I could tell you for sure. Yeah. Anyway, so let's talk about the return of the uh, great governor of Pennsylvania. Uh, he's back. Uh, what is his name? Oh, well, he's the Penn Stealer. Penn Stealer from Pennsylvania. Yeah. Governor Matthews. Governor Matthews. So he's yeah. back. Can you reset that? What was his deal? When did he steal the pen? Uh, so, you know, in season one, Rousseau was the governor of Pennsylvania. Pete Rousseau was the governor of Pennsylvania. After Pete Rousseau's death, that governor's spot was open and Matthews went and took the governor's spot. And that was the the master plan at the end of season one when Frank became vice president. OK, there you go. And so uh, he came back. It's so weird to have somebody come back in the mix after from season one. Yeah, all the ghosts from season one are coming back to haunt Frank. We got Matthews. We've got Tim. Yeah, they must have done a rewatch. Yeah. Yeah. Only the first only the first season. Though. Uh, that's what you think so far, right? Yeah. Although they have dropped Tusk's name quite a bit. I like Tusk was in the last season as well. So, yeah, um, might as well might as well bring these, you know, bring these loose ends back. The only way they're ever going to be able to take Frank down is by some of these things from early on coming back to haunt him like Zoe Barnes and, and Pete Russo. OK, so by the end of this, uh, we see that uh, Governor Matthews is going to go on the uh, committee uh, and we have this guy who is the investigator. He's a bit of like a uh, Jason Chaffetz uh, type character. I'm assuming that he is leading up the House Oversight Committee and is really grilling Governor Matthews. Yeah, and I believe that that is the character Alex that we saw and met in the last episode. He was in the SUV with Conway. Yes. And so, so he's he's in the same party. At, he's a Democrat, um, just like Frank. He's in the same party as Frank. Mm hmm. The the investigator from or uh, the Governor Matthews? No. Uh, well, both. But the investigator, the, the guy, the head of the committee. Yeah. And why is he then grilling uh, Governor Matthews so hard? Um, you know, I think that he was he was talking with Conway. I think Conway might have flipped him over to his side to get him to to grow him a little bit harder and to get him um, to not be this easy investigator like uh, like Frank was expecting. Are you sure he's supposed to be a Democrat? Yeah, I believe if this was the if this was the guy Alex from the last episode, 
um, they did make reference to the fact that he was a Democrat and that he was in Frank's party. Yeah, I want to go to the House of Cards wiki, but I'm afraid I don't want to get any plot points. Yeah, past it's, it's hard. It, it might. I mean, the other option, and um, this will be something to track maybe for the next episode, is it might also be the Florida congressman who was um, who was the Republican who was really loud at the beginning of the last episode. Um because they do look similar, but I'm pretty sure that, that was Alex because Alex had the facial hair. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so we'll uh, look into that before uh, we get to the next episode. Anyway, uh, so uh, do you think that Frank is all clear based on uh, the good governor's testimony? Yeah, but I worry the good governor might have just perjured himself quite a bit. I mean, he was he was lying uh, through his teeth during smoking that gun? testimony. Uh, I don't know if there is just yet, but I mean, you know, he denied quite a few things that he other said, people not could. that I recall. Yeah, he said, not that I recall. And then they uh, they said, are you going to be re- be able to recall anything later on in the sick testimony? Burn. That's a sick burn. Yeah, got him. They they did get him with that one. So we'll we'll see ultimately uh, where that goes. Uh, what's going on with Seth here? So that uh, they have the woman. Uh, who did he sit down with at that lunch? So that was the chief of staff of the chairman of the committee. Mm-hmm. And there was an incident that they referenced briefly. They were talking about what kind of leverage can they get on the chairman of the committee? Um, and they said one of his staffers had a gay affair. And then um, I think they said, well, that won't, you know, that won't do anything for him. Um, and so they said that the chief of staff for this chairman had a revenge porn incident. Yeah. And I think that's what he was implying with the the phone and, and using that. Oh, as sure. Leverage. No, I got that. I got that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then uh, then Seth is saying that he's willing to testify anonymously, I guess, against Doug. Uh, don't forget, Seth hates Doug. And uh, if you offer me anonymity, I can tell you. But what, are they going to take down Doug Stamper and leave Frank Underwood? I mean, I think that. Seth wants to be in Doug's role. He wants to be the number one to the president. So if he can take down Doug and, you know, not have it take down the president, I think that's his that's his goal. I don't think he's trying to take down Frank. Can you take down Doug and not take down the president? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, they can get stuff out there on Doug. Doug has to resign or gets fired. And then, you know, Frank can just spin it and Seth can help him spin it. And Doug would do time for Frank. Oh, yeah, definitely. He definitely would. He's the one person. Doug would go to the moon and back for Frank, I think. Yeah. Um. So that he's on his way out. And so we see the return of Sean Jeffries with the Herald and he, you know, Seth doesn't know who he is. And he's like, Hey, join me for a drink. And Seth does what, what is going on? Yeah. What's going on here? Well, I think, you know, this was like a power lunch in D.C. I mean, they had a lobbyist there. They had somebody uh, who's a government official. They had a fitness guy there. They had a personal trainer. I mean, they they just had all your bases covered. I don't know why the personal trainer is sitting there eating fried appetizers and drinking beer. But, you know, seems a little off message for him. Yeah, um, it was. I I don't understand what's going on in that storyline. So that I think that. you know, this this Herald reporter and I thought that his name I thought they said his name was Saul Jeffries. Oh, at first, Saul. And I got really excited about all the better call Saul jokes we could have made. Yeah. But um, then I saw it was actually Sean okay. Jeffries, which is a pretty good name. It's a good name for a character. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I think he comes off as very non-threatening because he's just the style reporter for the Herald. And, and Seth is 
Seth doesn't know anything more than that. He doesn't know that he's actually working with Hammerschmidt. And so they're just trying to get buddy-buddy with Seth and, and get him to spill the beans a little bit. Is that what they're doing? They're, they're just trying to, you know, like uh, trick him into t- giving up the goods? Yeah, I think so. And I think I think, you know, the Sean Jeffries guy might have been upstairs when when Seth was talking to the chief of staff. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if, if he he kind of knows a little bit more than what he let on. And uh, they're just trying to grease the wheels and, and get some info from Seth. But why is Seth hanging out with these guys? He's not busy. Yeah, you would think that Seth is busy, but, you know, maybe Seth just wanted to party. He's probably really stressed out. He's got a really crazy, uh, crazy life. There's a lot of craziness going on at the election right now. Let, let him kick a couple back. I mean, I feel like that I don't have time to go and, like, uh, drink beer with strangers. And I, and I just do stupid podcasts. <laughs> yeah, well, you have a better work ethic than Seth. Maybe you should be in the Underwood <laughs> I don't know. I should be the uh, President Underwood's uh, sec- press secretary. Yeah. Yeah. You would, you know, we, you've talked about Rob as a PR firm before you could get out there, get in front of these stories for Frank and, and, uh, really get him some good pub. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm ready to go out there and, uh, really field questions about the uh, president's sex life. Yeah. That's like, the, hey, that's the fun stuff to talk that's about. That's none of your business. This is America people. Yeah. Yeah. And then pe- people could come out there. They can ask about the swinging. They can ask about Tim, and uh, you can just shut them down, walk out, you storm out of the press conference. I'll say it's none of your business. It's none of your business. What goes on? None yet. What goes on there? Stop it. Stop it. How dare you? That's yeah. Let's get back to the war. Yeah. Go. We're talking about Ico here. Okay. That I'm sorry that you people in the media are so concerned with the frivolous, but the president is trying to save lives. God damn it. <laughs> I mean, you know. Would you be surprised that the style reporter wants to know about the president's sex life? He wants all the gossip. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh, talk about Conway and uh, him having a meltdown at the end of the episode. Uh, why? Well, first of all, for what? Like, why did like a uh, like a army SWAT unit uh, move down to Conway's position? Yeah, that was very strange. The those Hummers just kind of showed up there. Um, I, I take it that Conway was actually back in New York in his home state of New York. Were they there to protect Conway? I think that, you know, maybe they, they thought that this was one of those those spots that was one of the targeted areas that we heard about earlier in the episode. Um, you know, the, I did notice that that the Conways were at a hotel and. It was weird timing, though, like right when they're on camera that all of these all these soldiers and armed guards just show up. I just that I didn't follow what was going on. Like why? Like uh, like the army guys get out and come. Oh, that's it. That's it. I've had it with him. That's it. Like uh, like I, I don't I don't get it. Yeah, he lost it. He yeah. totally lost it. And Frank was oh good. This is exactly what I wanted to have happen. I knew Conway was going to lose it eventually. Yeah. He, and they're they're watching on their iPad while we're streaming. I mean, it's it's real real streamception right there. Yeah, and but oh, it, let's see, let's what, what, let's push his buttons. Let's uh, get all the army guys to go set up right outside the trick or treating. I mean, it's kind of like you know going back again to season one when um, Frank pushes the head of the the teachers union and gets him to to lose it and punch Frank across the face, and then Frank wins that. You know, so Frank's just digging into his bag of tricks here. Okay, so uh, we'll see ultimately if uh, there's going to be some fallout from this. Um, Did you like the Frank Underwood and Claire Underwood jack-o'-lanterns? 
Yeah, the Franco Lantern. I thought that That's was That's my uh, Franco Lantern. That was very nice. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very festive yes uh what else from this episode well did you think that it was weird that they were able to watch uh conway freaking out when there's no internet in washington dc like how are I they streaming back that? i thought they fixed it uh, did we get confirmation that it was actually back yeah i thought at the point where mccallan uh says like hey why don't you go ahead and uh here's the hole to fix it i thought it was fixed at that point yeah, I mean, I guess that was what he was doing, but they never gave him confirmation that they were going to fix it. So I was worried that when he sent that message and said, here's your whole fix it, that that was just kind of sent out there and he's hoping somebody fixes it and uh, and he was going to get busted. Hmm. Like, I thought that was going to be another loose end, but um, that would make sense that that it's now fixed and they are uh, enjoying their streaming and their their whiskey. Yeah. Maybe they're drinking McAllen scotch. Maybe. Uh, yeah, uh, between McAllen and Masterson, this is uh, a lot of, uh, M names to keep track of. Yeah, there is, uh, you know, but Masterson, I think he's out of the picture, so you can just focus on McAllen. Okay. All right. Uh, do you like the face swap app at the beginning of the oh, yeah, episode? What is with that? Uh, well, I mean, wh- who wants that of like, uh, I-, I don't understand who this is intended for of like, well, I'm a Frank Underwood voter. So I guess I'd like to see what my face would look like if it was morphed with him. Or let me see what <laughs> my face would look like if it was morphed with Claire Underwood. I mean, is somebody trying to win the big brother power of veto with this app? Why are we doing this? Who, who would want <laughs> I mean, this? Have you been on Snapchat in the last like year and a half? That's all Snapchat is. You can go on there and you can mix your face with Wonder Woman. Mm, but do I, is there a slider to do that? No, but I mean, this is just the next evolution where you can you can slide how much Frank is in you and how much Claire is in you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how much Frank Underwood would you like to have in you? That's a good <laughs> question. Um yeah, it's just uh, it was so weird. I, I like uh, like who like who would want that? Who I mean, what what inspired this? Millennials. Millennials, millennials want like. This? <laughs> yeah. This is how if you look like Frank Underwood, you're more likely to vote for Frank Underwood. Yeah. Now all the voters can see myself in them. That's how they'll know to come out and vote for old Uncle Frank. Yeah, exactly. It's like that old uh, you know, there's that old pickup line joke that's like got a little or stop, was it got me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's over the line, Zachary. <laughs> All right. Uh do you want to get into our questions, our feedback that comes in uh every week or every episode, HOC at postshowrecaps.com. Um what about your good buddy uh Brendan Fitzy? Oh, man. Set from downstairs. Yes. He said, can you guys talk about where Frank and Claire's relationship stands? At the beginning of the episode, Frank is joking with Claire. She brushes it off and remains professional in their interaction. Does this hint that there is another chance of a romantic reconciliation, at least on Claire's end? Or is this in response to the balcony scene in the previous episode where Frank told her to go see Tom? Yeah, I mean, I think we are seeing Claire uh, not necessarily want to be with Tom. Uh, I mean, we obviously saw that scene, which we we didn't even really talk about. But there was the the almost sex scene that was a little bit starting to get on the uh, not OK side between Yates and and Claire. And so, you know, maybe in that first episode where Frank tells her to go see Tom, she she wants to do what she wants to do. She doesn't want to do what Frank tells her to do. And now that Frank is OK with Tom and is actually encouraging Tom, maybe that's not what she wants anymore. Uh, and we might see that 
that relationship changing. But um, I think, you know, Claire wants power and she wants equal, you know, she wants an equal part of this partnership. And I think Frank knew that last season, but I do worry that he might be uh, forgetting that. I do feel like that there are these two parts to Claire Underwood where she wants to be sort of like, like uh, mentally fulfilled. And that's when she goes to Frank. And then like she really just looks at Yates as sort of like her plaything uh, for like, I don't think that Frank Underwood can satisfy uh, whatever sort of primal needs uh, Claire Underwood has. But I don't think that she finds him like particularly deep or anything like that. I think that uh, that she'd rather be like talking strategy with Frank than talking like a shop with Yates. Yeah, probably. But, you know, and, and Claire even has the line that she said, uh, you know, careful is far too small of a word for what we need to be. And then Yates gets all annoying and he says, well, what am I to you? Am I the first boyfriend? And like, really, Yates just needs to get a grip. First boy toy. So yeah. what about in terms of why did Claire shut things down with Yates in this episode? I mean, I, I was kind of confused by that, but I, I do think that it has to do with the fact that you know, she doesn't want to do just what Frank tells her to do um, just because Frank says it's OK. Well, she wants to do it only if it's OK with her. And, um, you know, Yates, Yates started to cross the line and she wasn't having. Nope. That. Nope. Shut it down. OK. All right. Uh, why don't we check in with our good buddy uh, Spencer Y, who sends us multiple questions on each episode. So let me cherry pick a couple things uh, to uh, discuss. Um, he wants to talk about Ken. Ken Caswell's big mouth and the potential secret love triangle. Was Ken feeling slighted about Frank not helping him with the Wall Street job back in the day more than just uh, not about getting a call? It seems that Ken knew about Frank and Tim's secret romance. But do you think that Ken was also in love or smitten with Frank? Could there have been an unspoken love triangle among those three men? I mean, I don't think that there was love between Frank and Ken. Uh, I don't think there was a love triangle, but I do think he's obviously really close with them. And, you know, apparently Ken knew all about what was going on between Frank and Tim. So, um, you know, we'll see. I don't think we've seen the last of Ken here. Um, he's going to be a problem child and a thorn in their side. Do you but, feel like um, was he acting out because Frank didn't return his phone call? Was he sort of like, oh, you're not going to return my phone call? OK, so, uh, hey, I got this this thing I, I know, so I better get some uh, phone calls back. I mean, that would be really pretty petty because Frank is the president of the United States. And, you know, just like you said, Seth probably doesn't have time to go for drinks with people. The president probably doesn't have time to just return personal phone calls. Uh, there might be a better way to get in touch with him. Like maybe call one of his aides and have them get in touch with Frank for you. Okay. Spencer also says about doubting Kathy with Kathy Durant telling Blythe she's considering resigning as secretary of state because she uh, feels strongly against closing the borders. Are we getting a sign that Kathy may throw a wrench in Frank's plans to make a declaration of war against Ico? Yeah. Doubting Kathy. I and think Blythe was a, back. Uh, yeah. It was good to see Blythe back. Just kind of lame duck Blythe sitting there and he's just he's just waiting for his time to end, mm -hmm. waiting for his watch to be over. He knew. Yeah. Marjorie um, knew. I mean, I think Kathy is going to she's going to keep trying to to press this thing. You know, she always kind of goes through her ebbs and flows where she's working with Frank and then she's working against Frank and she decides that she has morals again and she stands for things and then will do whatever Frank says. So, you know, we might see an episode or two where she's trying to act out, but then uh, Frank will just tighten the screws like he always does with her and get her back on his side. 
Okay. Uh, and then also, uh, Conway, the military hero, Spencer asks, uh, General Brockhart seems proud and willing to talk about Conway's courageous acts in the military, but Conway seems against it. Do you think that some shoe will drop where Conway's past actions in the military will come to light and make him look like a total phony or coward? Oh, I like that theory. Um, you know, there's some sort of scandal around him getting the Purple Heart and you know, maybe he didn't he didn't actually earn the Purple Heart or uh, he did something something not cool uh, in in battle. And that could come out right around the election time, although we only have two weeks for all of this news to drop unless we do see the, the election delayed. Yeah. Uh, and one other question from Johnny DeSilvera wants to say, do you think that Frank had anything to do with Tim's death? No, I. That's uh, that's outrageous. Because Frank was really upset. <laughs> that's about outrageous, death. Johnny. <laughs> and not outrageously brilliant. That was just outrageous. Yeah. I mean, Frank seemed really upset talking about it when he was talking about lighting the fire. I was wondering where are we going with this? Uh, like, okay, here's how we make a fire. First, I start off with a bunch of logs on the bottom. Then I put some medium logs in the middle. Uh, I mean, that that did go on. Yeah. And then you put the Tinder on the top and you swipe your fire to the right or the left. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but he did break in talking with us. I did. Uh, I, I liked how that uh, came about. So no, I don't yeah, think that was, that was new. We, I don't th- we I don't think we've ever seen that before. Yes. OK. With him breaking like that. So and, you know, building the house of logs. That's what that's what Frank house does. House of logs coming to Netflix next year. Oh, that's the worst spinoff ever. <laughs> All right. <laughs> it's just Tim out. It's just Tim out in the uh, in the woods just with his logs trying to camp to survive because he's been lost uh, from his river accident. <laughs> Poor Tim. Uh, so, Zach, what's yeah. the hashtag uh, this week? I mean, you know, I like canned eye corn. Um, I guess it's kind of a kind of a mouthful. Yeah. Well, especially if you've got a handful on your desk. Uh, how about uh, hashtag Frank-a-lantern? Frank-a-lantern's good. House of Logs. We could yeah, do that House as well. That's a late contender. Like, do you think that... Do you think that Tim is uh, actually dead? I, mean, I don't know if you got your uh, I guess that's that. a good question. Um, I would say I think so. I mean, unless he's like sort of like he can't live with the fact that he's in love with the president and then he's going to sort of emerge uh, and just like uh, I faked my own death to be with you, Frank, or something like that. Well, all they said is that he's been missing. And I think they said he's was out on the river and he's been missing. Oh, you don't think Ico got him, do you? No, I don't think that's like a Johnny DeSilvera uh, conspiracy theory. I don't think Ico's got it. I mean, what if Ico but, like sends like a message to Frank Underwood, like uh, Mr. Underwood, we have your boyfriend. I mean, so that what Ico's talked to Ken. I mean, yeah, this is like a he's real got a deep big conspiracy. mouth. Claire Underwood says. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. Claire also says assumptions are dangerous. Assumptions so maybe we should be yeah. assuming anything. I mean, that would be something if Ico got him. That I mean, you know, I. If that happens, you know, you can win some bet, but I, I do not see Ico having Tim. I think I think Tim might just be doing like an into the wild type thing and might be out somewhere, you know, eating some bad berries and maybe he can he can return at some point. OK, so here's what we're going to do next. So if you want to send in questions, uh, we are going to come right back and record our chapter 55 podcast but moving forward. Of course, you can email the show. Just put the chapter in the subject line and send your message to HOC at Post Show Recaps. 
Com. Before we break and watch chapter 55, let me take a moment and thank our sponsor for this episode of the podcast. And those are our friends over at True Car. Because when you're looking to buy a car, you want to make sure you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. You don't want to go on the website. It's like, oh no, McAllen hacked this and it's all crazy prices. Too good to be true. No, you want the real pricing. A lot of times, this isn't the case. People could configure their car online only to find out later that that car is not available. But with True Car, you get the real pricing on the actual inventory. This is not just pricing offered by True Car. Believe me, it's pricing from the actual dealer, not just any dealer, a True Car certified dealer that you can trust, just like Frank Underwood. It's a carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price, helping you easily find the car that you want. Over 3 million cars have been sold to True Car users by the True Car Certified Dealer Network with over 13,000 True Car Certified Dealers nationwide. You'll get to work directly with a True Car Certified Dealer contact, and True Car users are more likely to enjoy a faster buying experience when they connect with a True Car Certified Dealer, saving an average of over $3,000 off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Some features not available in all states. All right. Zach. Uh, anything else before we head into chapter 55? Now I'm looking forward to seeing where we go. And uh, I think McAllen might have some, uh, you know, some fire under his feet. I'm a little worried about him and, you know, maybe Tim will show up in an ICO video. Okay. We'll see what comes up. We'll see. We'll be right back. Here's uh, our chapter 55 podcast. And we're back, Zach Brooks. Oh my God. <laughs> oh, what a, what a quick break. Oh my God. Awesome. Oh my yeah. God! All right, but wow, the election happened. I thought we were, it was just Halloween, and all of a sudden it was you know uh, we were just uh, you know on Polly Hop for twenty four hours, and boom, election day. Yeah, we are on the uh, Route One, right to the future of the House of Cards universe. Yes, this is moving much faster than we were expecting. Yeah, things really did pick up, and it was election day, and I was like, really, we're doing this? It was like halfway through the episode. We started Election Day. I thought we'd get at least our own episode for Election Day. And the Underwoods are going to lose? That's what it looks like. I mean, that's a that's a blindside. Oh, I, I didn't, didn't see this coming. See, no. No, I didn't see that coming either. Although I do think I have a prediction for where we're headed. Okay, well, let's just uh, set this up. So you, this is part two of our episode. Hopefully, uh, maybe some people just uh, skipped ahead to this episode. And so we're going to talk about everything from chapter 55 here today as we uh, continue our progression through House of Cards season five. And I have to say, you know, I'm a little bit gobsmacked here in terms of that. I thought that it was going to be like, okay, Frank's going to get out of this. This is going to be like a close call. And again, we're only seeing through the middle of the day on election day. I guess there could be a lot of precincts that have not reported or precincts that they believe to be sort of Republican strongholds, which do not turn out for Conway or that there's uh, some sort of like late push that comes through. But it feels like we are sort of, uh, unless I'm just getting totally faked out here, it looks as though Frank Underwood is going to lose the election. I mean, they have to make it look like there's going to be an, you know, they, Frank can't just keep rising with nothing standing in his way. He's got to have some obstacles. So, 
you know, I do think that there's some of that, you know, some of the the red herring where they want to make you think Frank is going to lose. Or a blue herring in Frank's case. Well, it would, yeah, or unless it's from Conway's perspective, yeah. then it would be the red herring. Well, so, so are you saying that you feel like that Conway will not actually win the election on election day? No, I actually do think Conway's going to win. Um, and I think where I feel like this season is headed is that the timeline of this season is going to go up until inauguration day. The finale is going to be inauguration day. And somehow Frank is going to be able to fight this or prove that, you know, either prove or make a fake scandal that, you know, whether it's that Conway hacked the election, Polyhop hacked the election, um, something, some kind of shenanigans went on on Conway's side, uh, either actually happened or Frank will make it happen. And then somehow the results are going to be reversed and Conway will not become president on inauguration. Right. Like, will Frank create some sort of state of emergency where we cannot have some sort of handover of power based on this emergency situation that he's going to be creating. But it does feel like that we are going to have a election victory for Conway or uh, that will there be some sort of thing where the other shoe is going to drop on Conway where news comes out and we're forced to have like some sort of a new special election. And again, I don't know if this is uh, possible either. I don't remember anybody talking about this possibility of some sort of special election after the real 2016 election where I know people were throwing uh, all sorts of things out there about possibilities. Like, I, I guess the one thing going back to the real presidential election, there was some talk about how you know, there's electoral college and then what was it like December 9th or something like that? That's when the electorals could like do like they, they don't necessarily need to vote for the person that was elected. They could sort of like have like a vote in no confidence. Right. Yeah. Um, there there was that that second deadline for the electoral college. So, you know, maybe we see something with that. Um you know, it is interesting that they wrote all of this before the election, but, you know, we are seeing some things that were storylines in real life. Um, you know, there's lots of parallels that you can draw to, to real life from what's going on in the House of Cards. Yeah, so. uh, I see there are, there are parallels, but I, I feel like that what I'm seeing on this show in no way, shape or form resembles anything I saw in the 2016 actual election. Like, first of all, the the like the minimal amount of campaigning that seems to be going on. I mean, <laughs> yeah. that, that, that last day before the election, I mean, both uh, Hillary and Trump were, you know, made a number of stops. They're going all over the place. I mean, if either of these candidates decided, OK, you know what? 24 hours to go. We're doing all day on Skype. Anybody can call in. Like, first off, that and nobody who would have been watching this, uh, it would have been, you know, a, a technical disaster. Uh, why is this a good idea? Like, uh, like this is the 2016 election, not the 2046 election. Who is thinking that the 24-hour Ask Conway Skypeathon is going to be a good idea? Yeah, the the Conway patron cast is what I was thinking during that. Right. But, right. You know, like, like I, I I liked the idea from Conway. He wants to appear very hip and and very in it with technology. Which makes me wonder why he used Skype and he wasn't doing this over like Facebook Live or Periscope or Polyscope or something. No, look, the Republican candidate for president, like, uh, you know, like 
who's in it's america okay who's voting in these uh, elections like you know the the republican candidate is looking to turn out like uh it's the uh it's an older crowd okay that's that's who's voting in this country millennials aren't like in uh, the you know 18 year olds aren't sitting there watching ass con i mean that's who it, this is his plan to reach out to those voters they're gonna yeah, turn out for hashtag. conway Stop yeah, he even it. had the ash, ask Conway hashtag, and uh, I mean, you know, he's he is the hipper candidate. He's the cool guy. He's the younger candidate, you know, and and Frank is the the old, you know, guy doing everything the the traditional way. So um, this is this is Conway's. This is his strategy. I don't. I don't think it it worked very well. It didn't seem like there was anybody calling in. He's he's talking about you know. Well, at least there's somebody who's still up at this hour. It was six a.m. Like lots of people should have been up at six a.m. I can't believe you didn't have the phones off the hook. So uh, it didn't seem like it was very successful. And you really saw some parallel scenes in this episode where you saw Conway sitting in the dark room alone, just looking at a camera and talking. And then you saw Frank out in the crowds. You saw Claire out in front of all those people at that high school or that community center, um, you know, and you, you just saw the brightness of the Underwood campaigning versus the darkness and, and aloneness of the Conway campaign. Interesting. Um, Frank Underwood calling in to ask Conway, <laughs> I, I believe is his uh, Kofefe moment. I, I think that uh, that I can't believe that the media spin on this isn't like, oh, man, Frank Underwood has lost it. Frank Underwood is like up all hours of the night. Just go with his take his phone away. What is he doing? Frank Underwood. I, I don't know how that anybody thought that came off as a good moment for Frank Underwood. Yeah, it was like a drunk dial or something. Yeah. You know, he's like, it's like oh, the president is deranged. Yeah. <laughs> president Underwood has lost it. Somebody take his phone because uh, he needs to be supervised. Are we following what he's doing with his phone all day? Yeah. It I mean, that that scene, though, I did really like it. It was cool to see them get like another standoff right as we head into the election. But uh, it did feel like both of these guys should have something better to do in this hour than, uh, yeah. than talk on the phone. Also, with each other. seems like it shouldn't be that easy to just dial in to uh, ask Conway. It seems like almost anybody who wants to get on to uh, hashtag ask Conway uh, seems like they can. Yeah. Also, why not take some Twitter questions? If you have the if you have the hashtag and you don't have anybody calling in, I'm sure there's tons of questions they get from Twitter. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like just the whole the whole idea of ask Conway, you know, let me oh, let me do, you know, what could go wrong? Let me just do a 24 hour, you know, live Skype town hall where Anybody could come on and say anything. My political opponents will have easy access to me. Like, no campaign manager in their right mind would have greenlit this exercise. Well, uh, you know, that one guy, I don't know who he is. Some new guy is working with them. He seemed oh, like yeah. he's pretty yeah. into this. Yeah, Snoopy Conway out of nowhere. Like, could you imagine <laughs> the spouse of, you know, uh, and, and, and again, the, the Clinton thing is weird because Bill, you have Bill Clinton as the spouse. But like, you know, could you imagine like um, Michelle Obama behind Barack's back? She's going to hire like some political consultant to, you know, super PAC this commercial that he's not going to want to do. Like, well, get out of here with this, Schmoopy Conway.
Yeah, she, you know, she's uh, she's trying to get her power, just like Claire Underwood. You know, maybe we're seeing a a younger version of Claire Underwood who's trying to trying to get some power and control some things. She's doing a commercial behind behind Conway's back that they're going to air about this thing. And and what is the scandal, Zach? What what has happened with Conway's backstory? Can you crack this case? I mean, they're definitely hinting at something. And, you know, this might be what you talked about earlier that might end up requiring the special election. Um, <laughs> but what is it? What did he do? What did he So So he's a captain in the Air Force. Uh, like, it seems like the the average uh, American seems to have a lot of questions about this. Like, <laughs> hold on. Wait, well, weren't you in the Air Force? Like, why were you on the ground? Like, ah, uh, no, no. Yeah, I just don't like talking about it. It's really, it's all a blur. Uh, yeah. But uh, hold on a second. That weren't there like a what? what uh, yeah, um, like he, uh, he did legitimately get choked up at one point. And so that you know, there was one point where I wrote down, "Does he have PTSD from this?" Which he might also, but. You know, then then as the episode went on, I started thinking, no, he's hi- there's something he's hiding here. Like there there's something that they're dropping pretty big hints, uh, whether, you know, he wasn't actually there or maybe he you know, maybe he did something dirty because the guy asked, you know, he said, you're a pilot. Why? Why were your boots on the ground if you're a pilot? Yeah. Uh, but no, but he, the it, guy he was definitely there because we get the call in from Captain Squire. Right. And uh, he's like, yeah, I just wanted to say something about that. And like, did did, was he leaving everybody for dead? Was this sort of like his like uh, Don Draper in Korea moment where like uh, was he just like, oh, let me throw all these bodies over here and get the hell out of here. Was that what Conway was doing? Yeah, I mean, that that could be it. Um, You know, I mean. It's just I don't I don't know where they could be going with this. I mean, that that makes a lot of sense. I would hope that House of Cards would come up with something that was not taken from another show. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, you never know, I guess, with the show. So, it, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe it's that there was some sort of like that he was working with the enemy or he was helping the enemy or something, you know, like a homeland type thing. Helping the enemy. Uh, I mean, what 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 enemy? What was it? he was helping the Iraqis? Yeah, what was he in? Yeah, I uh, mean, was he in Afghanistan? Where where was Captain Conway? Yeah, I don't think they've made that clear. At least not this season. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to track and see where they're headed with this. I guess, but. Um, we're, I mean, we're going to find out. I hope that we find out soon and it's not like something they string along for like 10 episodes yeah. and then drop that bombshell. Yeah. So to speak. <laughs> I just think that this part is getting a little soapy. The what did Conway do? Uh, and it seems like that, that under any sort of interrogation, uh, like it's really like he is um, not even doesn't even have like a, a story or a lie here. It's just like. Uh, yeah, I just, I don't like talking about that. And then, um, like nobody is really probing too deep on this. You know, even Leanne is like, yeah, there's, well, I guess there's nothing else we can do here. Yeah. I share Uh, Frank Underwood's frustration that, that his crack team is unable to get to the bottom of this. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, you know, Leanne is working behind the scenes and she's making deals, trying to get, um, trying to get some of this information to come out, but. I don't know. I mean, I think that, 
you know, Conway did something dirty, but it's also something that he's he's clearly upset about. I mean, that, the uh, Joel Kinnaman did a good job when he was talking about it. You could see it in his eyes that he looked he looked pretty upset talking about this. So it's something that he doesn't like talking about probably for multiple reasons. And um, I don't know if even Schmoopy Conway knows what actually happened. I don't think she does. Uh, that's a good point. I don't know necessarily. Uh, so uh, we'll see with that. But really um, uh, devastating news for the Underwoods to ultimately have uh, the election uh, not turn their way. I do think, I mean, I don't want to like, uh, you know, there's been so much talk in real life about the 2016 election and uh, what went on. I do feel like that... Um, I will say that uh, I was commenting on on this uh, yesterday that um, it does seem like that in uh, in real life um, you you just get like news clips every day of like Hillary Clinton does like almost like her own poly hop every day of like sitting there like uh, I don't know what these things are but it's always like there's some person like interviewing Hillary Clinton and she's just like talking about why she lost in 2016 like what is that. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, <laughs> like, she's gonna have lots of content like for. Books. She's on the road every day. She's almost like she's like Louis C.K. out there of like in a different city every day talking about like. Uh, well, I don't know what these shows are. People are thirsty for information. Is that right what now. it they is? Want, like they want it. They want to hear things that'll make them feel comforted or make them feel like you know everything's gonna be okay. So maybe hearing what happened. They like, can, do you buy tickets for these that. things? Like, what is this show where Hillary Clinton is just like, uh, all right, and let me let me uh, all right, let me talk about Comey now, okay? All right. <laughs> so we need the Hillary Clinton podcast. Yeah, it's almost like saying? she should do a podcast. It's that. The, I mean, that's what it seems like it is. I don't really understand where she is every day. Like, uh, like it's just like the same thing like she's like sitting in a chair and somebody's like interviewing her and she's just like talking about the 2016 election stuff seems like a good ticket yeah you could uh you could subscribe to it you could rate it on itunes all kinds know. of things i you give it some reviews i mean she could even do like a video you know video content to go with it live shows i mean there's a whole industry <laughs> wide open for her to yeah you know, she's doing a youtube channel or something i don't i that it just i i'm just confused like what that is every day when i see it on the on the news but that being said like if i was gonna like be like you know sort of like um you know doing the autopsy on the underwood 2016 campaign i do feel like that there's some questionable campaign strategy uh, down the stretch here now. Oh yeah. There doesn't seem like there's a much of a sense of urgency. Uh, but from either side, I mean, where was Brockhart throughout this whole episode? We didn't see him once. Who the, uh, the VP the general. Came, yeah. The general. Yeah. yeah. Where, where was he during? Oh the, no, he's too much of out? a loose cannon. You can't get him on, uh, ask Conway live. Yeah. But so what's So he's just sitting at home, just hanging out, waiting for the results to roll in. Um, I think that they did. I mean, they got him in the commercial, right? They got him in the, so maybe he's just like, uh, on the run. Yeah. Um, I don't know. But there's just not a sense of urgency on either side, but, um, at least Frank was out, you know, he was out in Pennsylvania, which is a swing state. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's talking so much and traveling so much. He's losing his voice. He needs honey to, to soothe his, to soothe his voice. Is that something you do to, to keep your vocal cords loose? Yeah, I have, I don't know necessarily if it works. It might just be more of like a psychosomatic type thing where you just, uh, you think it works. Yeah. Better to just chug some bourbon. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but <laughs> Frank didn't really even like doing that. He just spit it out after, uh, he was given that by Yates. Yeah, it's like when you're at a wine tasting and they say, you know, you're not actually supposed to swallow the wine. You're supposed to taste it and then spit it out. Same type of thing. It was just a cheap bourbon tasting. Yeah. Um, 
So, yeah, the decision to Frank and Claire to sort of spend the day holed up and uh, watching the old movie. What do you think of this? I mean, that sounds like that is their tradition. And uh, I looked it up. The movie they were watching is called Double Indemnity. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, ne- I've never seen it. Have you seen this? No. It is from 1944, and it is a crime movie about an insurance representative who gets involved in uh, in some insurance scam and uh, a murder investigation fraud scheme. Yes. So, sounds like a real thriller. I might check it out. Maybe it's streaming somewhere. So I thought that this was actually pretty interesting. I, I, I went back and I watched this a second time because I was like, very, you know, very curious about uh, what's what's happening here. And we see that Frank and Claire are sort of like acting out the roles in this movie and playing these characters. And, and I just felt like that there's some interesting symmetry here between Frank and Claire playing parts in some fake movie. But at the same time, they also sort of like play these characters in their own reality too like uh not necessarily these characters but they do play characters to each other oh definitely they play characters to each other they play characters to the public i mean we saw when frank calls the woman in south carolina his voice is completely different he's got this sweet southern accent and he's totally relaxed and friendly uh you know so they are playing they are actors in this whole scheme and there are different actors for different types of needs that they have. Yeah. So, and they did a great job. They knew the lines to this. They very, knew the I lines. There's, I don't, I, maybe back to the future is the only movie that I could <laughs> do that for. And like do it line for line, word for word. Yeah. This was their Frank's lucky charm. Uh, so I watched a, uh, a really interesting YouTube video about House of Cards uh, since we last recorded. Uh, there's a YouTube channel called Wisecrack, and they do a lot of sort of like uh, uh, film study, and uh, but they do it in a very fun way. And yeah, they do great stuff. I, I watched the same video uh, a couple months ago, actually. Yeah, so uh, about the secret meaning of House of Cards. Yeah. And um, I mean, it was a while ago that I watched it. So you'd be more fresh on it. But they do talk a lot about Shakespeare um, and how it parallels Shakespeare. Right. Yeah. It's actually called uh, The Philosophy of House of Cards. And uh, it's a really interesting video, which really explains a lot of the things that you and I have touched on over the years. But I think that they do it in a much more succinct uh, way than we've ever done it. Oh, no. no, no, We're better. We're better. Where (laughs) basically uh, this video talks about how the philosophy of House of Cards is that it's it's everything in the show, and we've talked about a lot of themes about light and dark and appearance and Claire's hair and looking at paintings and and basically that they're saying that politics is all about appearance and that everything is theater in terms of politics. Nobody's actually trying to get anything done. It's all about the appearance of what your image is to others. And I thought that this was, you know, uh, very interesting. And especially the video talks about like the different points between like looking at art and looking at, you know, quoting Shakespeare and things like that. And so I feel like that anytime this show brings any sort of art or work of film into the mix. I feel like that they are trying to say something. And just to have Frank Underwood be, you know, sort of play acting uh, this role with Claire 
you know, that they've sort of like both had their own sort of like uh, different uh, dalliances uh, with other people romantically. But just to have them play these parts uh, with each other, I, I did think that just the, the roles they were playing in the movie, uh, I thought that, uh, that there was something there. Yeah, I I mean, they're you know, they are actors in a role. And I actually just saw um, on Netflix, they have the the cover art for House of Cards. And for this season, it is Frank and Claire with like, it looks like silhouettes of an audience below them. And then kind of um, kind of these crowns that are that look drawn on like something that you would see in a play. So I think that, you know, that might, that is definitely a theme that we're seeing throughout this season, that, that these are actors and this is the facade that they're putting on. Yes. Um, and you even see it with Conway, too. When they shut off the Conway show feed, you can just see like all of the the energy and the exuberance in their faces kind of kind of leave. And once the cameras are off, the Conways are totally different as well. Yeah, I, I get I get that. Um, I feel like that the Underwood marriage, though, I, I feel like that at times Frank like plays the role of loving husband and Claire plays this role of like sort of like, you know, the, the, that like I, I to me, I, I wonder if even the, the marriage is just like playing parts in some movie of how they're supposed to act when they're talking about, you know, I walked you home and that, you you know, you, that we were there for each other. Like, do they even actually care about each other? Yeah. Like they're playing roles for each other pretty yeah. much. And like, yeah, okay, oh, this no is what I'm supposed to say. This is what I'm supposed to do. Do they even uh, like, are they just like running lines like they're supposed to like the, like they are in this movie? Oh, def- I think that's a I think that's a great assessment of of their relationship. And, um, you know, you saw it even where, you know, I think part of their uh, their tradition was that they watch this movie and then they have sex, it seemed like, because Frank starts getting romantic with Claire. And Claire says, I'm not in it. I'm not into this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I, you know, I got I got the sense that that was another part of this tradition that they have. that They always on Election Day watch this movie and have a romantic night together. And um, and Frank continues to want to play that. Even though, you know, we know about Frank's sexual history and now Claire, whether she knew before or this is new news to her, also knows about that with with Tim, uh, Tim Coleman. Yeah. So it's interesting to uh, follow uh, that thread as uh, we continue to move forward here uh, in this uh, somewhat unpredictable season five. Yeah. Did you uh, did you notice how we got the kind of origin story for Frank and Claire and also the origin story for the Conways in the same episode. Oh, that's interesting. The parallels. Yeah. And the Conways was really majestic in that, you know, you kind of could hear, I actually rewatched the Conway polyhop scene um, when Frank calls him. And in the beginning of that scene, he's describing how he met uh, Shmoopy Conway and they were at some sort of ball and they were dancing all night and it got late. And so Will Conway is a gentleman. So he goes to grab his jacket to go home and uh, Hannah follows him up the steps and he sees her reflection with the moonlight behind him. And he turns around and that was that was how they first met and became involved together uh, compared to Frank and Claire, where. They tried to go to a museum and it was full and Frank walked her home and this movie was on at Frank's house. Um, and so they watched the movie and then Claire made Frank kiss her. Right. So much less romantic. 
Yes, but the Schmoopy Conway story, I, I really feel like that, you know, because it was told, you know, in front of an audience, like, uh, like, can we buy anything? I mean, uh, I have no confidence that that's the real story. Oh, I doubt that's the real story. And we might get the real story at some, at some point this season. Because, um, yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's like any of that stuff, like anything he's saying, you have to. Maybe it's 50 percent true. Right. But it was just interesting to hear both of those stories and to hear this majestic story versus this um, kind of much more rustic story. Right. And, you know, just to circle back to the philosophy of House of Cards as outlined in the video, they're saying that, you know, all of the politicians on this show are only concerned with appearance. Uh, there is no, like, you know, we see the actual power is made in sort of like the uh, backroom deals or, you know, uh, you know, smoky rooms with men with their cigars, as uh, Frank ends up saying. I think that, that might be back in uh, season three as he's going through everything. So uh, we see, you know, both of these candidates, I think that uh, the show's worldview, uh, not to speak too much of our own uh, political system, it really er everything is all for the appearance of looking a certain way. Um, then that's really what everybody is focused on. Yeah, that's definitely I mean, that's definitely true. And we you know how much actual policy have we seen being being talked about legislation? I mean, it's all just deals and, you know, doing things to either show something to the audience or distract the audience, kind of like a sleight of hand where they're distracting the audience with with something, you know, the ICO stuff and doing something else. So, yeah, um, it's, it's a big performance. And then all these themes are worked into this idea of old and young where we see, you know, as, as you pointed out, you know, here's Frank Underwood, you know, sort of trying to do sort of like the old school campaigning. Let me pose for a picture uh, with these people where Conway ends up being sort of like the new hotness where his whole thing is that he's going to show more and more people his life. And, uh, you know, he's going to be streaming, but, uh, you know, still all for appearances of, you know, I'm going to let people see what I'm up to and, you know, talk to uh, the every person, but, you know, still is, uh, you know, hiding a lot. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, Conway pulled a real Jack Bauer here. He's on camera for 24 straight hours. And, you know, I was wondering watching this. I'm like, well, did he eat? Did he just eat on camera? Everybody gets to see what his table manners are like. And then, you know, also when he went to the bathroom, what did they do? Do they take like a commercial break or do they? I think Schmoopy probably stepped in. She just filled in. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. They probably had some B-roll also, like some commercials of like they like, uh, let's air that commercial again. Yeah. Okay. Polyhop. Polyhop. You know. All right. Yeah, get get P mail. <laughs> we have a lot to talk about with Doug. Oh yeah, we do. A lot of stuff going on here with Doug. Uh, big night, uh, and uh, Doug sex scene is happening. Yeah, although, Doug and Laura Moretti. Yeah, hot and heavy. Yes, uh, although uh, not. Uh, you know, it, it's it's not going well. He was not there. He's losing focus. Yeah. He's just kind of sitting there. Mm hmm. Right. Right. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, not uh, not able to uh, keep his head in the game. Unfortunately, a lot going on for Doug, uh, which ultimately leads Doug to fall off the wagon. Well, almost fall off the wagon. He only ordered the bourbon and actually drink it. OK, so he's right there. Right. He's yeah, right. He, he's this, right. It, it, it reminded me of the syringe, you know, and, and I was thinking back to when Doug had the bourbon syringe back in uh, season three. 
Yeah. And, um, and that, you know, that was his way of getting a little bit of a fix, but having it be measured. And so this was, he, he's walking right up to that edge. He's ordering, uh, the bourbon and then pays for everybody else's drinks in the bar and leaves. Yeah. But we got to feel like this is going in the downward direction, right? I don't know. I, it might be. And I mean, you know, the way we see Doug at the end of the episode, too, he seems pretty resigned to the fact that this uh, era of his life might, is ending. And, um, you know, he he doesn't seem like he's doing well. But, you know, Doug is always best when he is out on a mission mm-hmm. and when he has some sort of purpose. And I think that he just hasn't had a, a, a mission that is just his. And there's other there's other people. There's there's Leanne, there's Seth, who are taking some of the some of the things that used to get sent to Doug and some of the missions that he used to do. And so I think he's trying to figure out how he can fit into this administration. OK. And Doug, we then see him, you know, still uh, is butting heads with Leanne about uh, who is going to talk to the Underwoods about what's going wrong. Right. Yeah, he, you know, he feels like this is his domain. He gets to tell them this um, or it's his duty to tell them this. And, and she is not going to do that. It's the one thing he won't ask her to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so uh, he has some bad news and, uh, you know, low turnout. Yeah. But, you know, it, the thing that I'm confused with is, yeah, it's a low turnout. And it seems like it's a low turnout in the Underwood heavy districts. But if it's just a low turnout everywhere, they, you know, it's still. It still might not be that bad for them. I mean, if if nobody turns out, but they still have a lead, they win. It's a it doesn't depressed matter. turnout. Yeah, well, depressed turnout, depressed Doug. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, unless we're like, are you saying you feel like that it's going to be that the voter turnout everywhere is depressed, and that there's like, uh, it's going to be like a close vote? Yeah, that's what it seems like. It seems like it's just a low turnout everywhere. I mean, they they named a lot of places. I know they mentioned that Pennsylvania was a low turnout, which also means Ohio is a low turnout. Um, but, it, you know, it did seem like there were quite, you know, South Carolina has a low turnout. So, you know, maybe it's just that it's going to be in places where um, where Frank is was was in the lead and where he has a where he has a stranglehold. But it might just be a low turnout everywhere. OK. So you feel like the red states are going to say, hey, no way that we are voting a Republican ticket with a guy from New York. Uh, not going to do it. No way. We are also going to be a depressed vote. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I think that that definitely is a possibility. I, I still, mm. like I said, I still think that Conway is going to I've seen win. it happen. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, So then uh, why is Doug going into the Oval and then he's going to write his name in the desk? Why is he vandalizing the uh, the desk in the Oval Office? I wondered where he was going with that because he pulls out the congressional pin and he pulls out like a notebook and some other things and then takes the whole drawer, turns it over and carves his initials into it. Um, you know, I, that was my sign that Doug has no faith that they're going to win. He he knows this is over. Right. And that he wants to leave his legacy in the Oval Office uh, somewhere that most people aren't going to look. Although, you know, the next chief of staff might have the same idea and, and go to pull that drawer out and see that Doug's already marked his territory. Well, I wonder if this goes back to what Governor Matthews told uh, Doug earlier in the episode about how Underwood is over and you're going to be gone. And, you know, nobody's going to be able to see you. You'll just disappear. 
was Doug trying to literally imprint something to uh, have some sort of a permanence on uh, that, okay, we are going to be out of here, and I need some way to prove that I was, in fact, here. Yeah, and we've talked in the past a lot about legacy, about Frank's legacy, sure. Claire's legacy. So, um, you know, it's kind of a kind of a sad legacy for Doug if it's written on the bottom of a <laughs> of a uh, desk. But it's still but, there. Yeah, but it's still I mean, there. And when we did see, I mean, Doug did seem like he had it together during the Matthews meeting, um, and he calls his bluff and and gets Matthews to to put the National Guard in Pennsylvania or to. Um, Doug wants to put the National Guard in Pennsylvania, but he does call Matthews Bluff and catches him in the lie. Um, but then things things turn south after that, and that's when he calls Laura Moretti and um, and tries tries to solve his issues with his vices. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, interesting uh, spot for Doug as well. Also, uh, what's going on with Seth? I feel like that uh, Seth uh, very much in the running for the LVP, uh, continuing that so far uh, this season. What's going on with Seth and the woman with the revenge porn? Yeah, I mean, she's now deleted the revenge porn, which I, I don't know how you delete that. I mean, you would think that like somebody else is in control of that. But I guess there's, you know, they have connections maybe to, to get that stuff taken offline. Mm-hmm. Um but we do see Seth to open up voting day or election day, and, and Seth is up there testing the microphones, and he's a real audio expert. He's he's saying we lower need, this we need level, him in here. and yeah, I know. Really, we could have him just produce this podcast for us. If he needs a new job, he could do that. Okay, all right. Well, if Seth is on the market, then uh, we'll see if we can get him on there. Um, yeah, and. Um, I guess we have to see where we go from here with uh, the Underwood campaign. So you're, you seem like you're a little more bullish on Underwood being able to pull this out. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that's what show we're watching. I mean, I, it, it would be interesting if the end of the, you know, whatever the last season of this show is that we see Frank after he's lost his power. Mm-hmm. Um, because I don't even know how, you, you know, after you're when you're a former president, like, how do you regain that power again in the same capacity. I mean, he could definitely still be a powerful right. person, but not as a, I mean, he's not going to run for political office again. So what would he do? To me, um, I feel like that this season is a lot more interesting with Underwood losing the election, having to figure something out here, uh, you know, under investigation. I think that that's to me the most interesting way to handle what's going on in this season. Uh Less interesting is like, ooh, that was close. Yeah, definitely. And, um, you know, I think everybody kind of just expects that Frank is going to win because they're, you know, this is a show they have to keep making seasons for. Um, And it's nice that we get this early on in the season. I know we said that we would have liked the last season to end with the election. And and we'll see how this turns out. If it does turn out that Conway wins, you know, we can discuss would it have been better to end last season with Conway winning and then not know uh, how Frank handles that. Okay. All right, uh, let's get into some of our feedback questions. Uh, and uh, let's go to uh, Johnny DeSilvera, who wants to know, does Matthew survive this season? Boy, that's uh, dark, so. Johnny. I mean, yeah, I think, I think Matthews will survive it. It's interesting that we're seeing him more as a character, and I wonder if post the election when Pennsylvania is in a big swing state, are we still going to see Matthews? Uh, or is he just going to kind of fade back like he has been the last few seasons? Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go to our good pal, Spencer Y, the always inquisitive Spencer Y. 
And he wants to know about the mysterious Eric Rawlings. Were viewers supposed to know or make a connection to the man that Frank spotted in the crowd in Pennsylvania before he took the stage? Since the episode crossed into the start of Election Day, uh, do you think that the mysterious character will play a role before the episode concludes? Yeah, I mean, we definitely are going to see this guy again. He's somebody important. Um, And we have this new Secret Service guy who I don't think we've seen before. uh, And I think we've seen him the last few episodes. So I think he might be Frank's new head Secret Service guy. Um, But he got info on Eric Rollins. And I don't know who this guy could be. He looked young. He doesn't look old enough that he could be, you know, one of these old Gaffney people that knows about the Frank and Tim relationship. Yeah. Um, But he's some sort of. You know, Frank recognizes him, you know, camera zooms in on him. So we know that we know he's going to be important. And, uh, you know, I hope that we hear something soon. I feel like one of the things I'm noticing with this season of House of Cards is they're dropping a lot of hints to things, but then not really tying them up right away. Um, You know, this Eric Rollins is a good example. We had the Tim Coleman stuff in the last episode. And I feel like a couple times this season we started to see things get teased out and then. You know, I think because we're not binge watching this show, it's like, well, what is that? You know, we haven't seen anything about that for a few days, whereas somebody who binges the whole season, you know, they might see this this play out four episodes later. But that's only a couple hours later for them. Yeah, I also think that there is some connection between Eric Rawlings and Tim. Could this be the adult child of Tim? Because he kind of looks like him. Yeah, I guess it could be. Um, he looked like he was really tall. Mm. Um, he looked like he could be like a Dothraki Conway's guy adopted kid. <laughs> he does not look like a Conway. Yeah, no, Conway's bastard. Conway's bastard, yeah. I mean. Oh, man. Yeah, uh, what is it, Eric Snow? Uh, I, I believe that when you too. have a bastard child in America, I believe uh, the uh, bastard name they give you is Corn. Uh, so this is uh, <laughs> Eric, Eric Corn. Corn. Yes. Yeah. We grow or a lot Eric of corn oil. in America. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we don't grow uh, oil. Mm. That's true. Yeah. We do grow corn. We right. we import a lot of oil. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I like Eric Corn. That might be our hashtag. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. uh, we we also had uh, Muhammad Kohlrabi. I don't know if that was how you pronounce his last name, but that's how my phone autocorrected it in my notes. Uh, He's a, a Syrian with ICO connections that Kathy was briefing Frank on. Um, and yes. he was in Tennessee. So that's another thing that we're getting. You know, it's another character we're getting teased out in this episode. But we don't really get any more information about uh, who this this Muhammad Kohlrabi guy is. OK. All right. Um, and then also from Spencer, uh, the with the early polling showing lower than expected turnout in key demographic areas that Frank needs to win in order to secure the presidency and Frank telling Claire he's not ready to leave their house. Do you think that Frank and Claire can somehow throw a last ditch effort to bring voters out to the polls, such as televising an impromptu nationwide speech? Or is it too late? Do you think that is that possible that he, could he do something this afternoon to get people to go to the polls? Ooh, I, I do like that. I like the, uh, you know, kind of the Hail Mary to get people to vote. Uh, and, you know, maybe they can dig something out. Maybe that's what this whole episode, this next episode will be, will, is just like taking place in the afternoon on Election Day to try to get more people out to the polls. Hmm. Um, that would that would be interesting. I also, you know, that last line, like, this is our house. We're not leaving. It reminded me of Home Alone, kind of like this oh, is our house. We were you think we that were Frank detective. will line the White House with booby traps for when uh, Conway and Schmoopy uh, end up coming through. They'll all, like fall on his like uh, Civil War set. <laughs> that would be a real departure from uh, from the House of Cards we've seen. But 
um, white home alone, I guess we could call that, but Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. no, and he could, he could have paint cans and there's all kinds of travel. The white house is a big place. I think they could, they could do a lot to, to keep the intruders out. Okay. This is my house. This is my house and I have to protect it. (laughs) Exactly. Look what you did, you little jerk. Yeah. Doug, your girlfriend, woof. Yes. Could even have that. Doug, now if you have any more Pepsi, uh, I'm very concerned that you're going to wet the bed once again, Doug. So let's lay off of that. Yeah, No Pepsi and no Pepsi with whiskey in it either. Okay. Just lay off all of it. All right. Um, would, would you uh, Would you want to watch a Frank prequel? I was thinking that during this episode when he's talking about how they met. Frank Underwood prequel. Uh, so what is it like takes place in the 70s in Gaffney, sort of like uh, up and coming uh, 70s politics. Uh, is it sort of like do we like Forrest Gump through American history where, well, I've just gotten the call <laughs> to go and work in the office of one Richard M. Nixon and uh, that I'm very excited to have this mentor in my life. Yeah, exactly. Like, I want to see, like, has Frank always been this, like, evil, hungry for power guy? Or was he, you know, at some point he was innocent. And, you know, what I would like to see, like, the the Breaking Bad of Frank. Well, it's more the Better Call Saul of Frank is what you want. Yeah, I guess. But I'd rather it be like Breaking Bad than Better Call Saul. Yes. Uh, (laughs) You know, I, I just, I mean... Like, you know, I think Frank and Claire, that seems like, you know, I would like to see more about how they actually met, what their relationship was like. Um, You know, were they did they meet each other and just both know, like, this is somebody who's hungry for power. And that's why, you know, Frank says that he knew or he knew he would love her as soon as he met her and that she was the one he was going to be with. Hmm. Um, You know, and is he just like. He, he's in Gaffney and then he he's working in a congressional office and, and that's how he decides he wants this power. Has it been that growing up he has always known, I want to be the most powerful man? Yeah, interesting. Um, I can't imagine that when he was a kid he was thinking that, uh, you know, that I think that he sort of like just like kept like setting his sights higher and higher. But it, it would be interesting. I, I, I don't know if it would, there, there's enough meat there for a series. Yeah. I, and I don't think we would, you know, I wouldn't want to see like a flashback episode either, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I, I would like maybe just to hear more about it. Although if Frank's telling the story, you can't really know if it's true. Yeah. Um, but, and I have no idea who could even play a young Frank Underwood. I don't think there's an actor who can be a young Kevin Spacey. I'm sure somebody could do it. Yeah. Somebody. But, it's CGI. You know. the, the, the real Kevin Spacey oh, could do it. Oh, they could do the, the make Kevin Spacey look like he's 20 years old CGI thing. Yeah. Ugh, please don't. <laughs> they're gonna, so weird. <laughs> they're going to do it. Like they did with Robert Downey Jr. in, in uh, Civil War, and they, they've done it a lot. Yeah. All right. Um, all right. You like the hashtag Eric Korn? I like Eric Korn, unless you have anything else written no, down. No, that's good. Anyway, uh, you know, I, I know I was sort of like uh, picking on the uh, Ask Conway stuff, but overall I felt like uh, I really did like where they ended this episode. I'm very intrigued to see how the election is going to turn out. Again, be a little bit uh, annoyed if they end up going with the hashtag blue herring. Yeah. Yeah. I hope that it's not a blue. Like, oh, we thought it was going to we thought we were going to lose. But there was a late Democratic turnout and it saved the day. Yeah. I mean, that, that would be I would like to see the last ditch effort, even if it fails. Um, yes. But, you know, I think, you know, I think Conway is going to win this election. 
I don't think at the end of the season, Conway is going to be the president. Okay. Then if that's the case, do you think that Conway then goes on tour around the country to different (laughs) cities and then just gets interviewed about what went wrong in the 2016 election? If I could give Conway any advice, I would say just do a podcast, set it up, you know, get get sponsors. You get like, you know, blue herring apron and you can get you know, blue car and all kinds of stuff, you know, to, yeah. to sponsor you. That's good. That's and, good. And, yeah. Make more money than just doing interviews. Yeah. Well, Conway could just like uh, do his poly hop and just like uh, talk about it all day long. Yeah, I do actually think there might be something with this low voter turnout that's going to come back to Polyhop. I mean, Polyhop, they're showing them still. There's something there with Polyhop. Yeah. So keep, also, I thought Polyhop was not spelled the way that that uh, that banner for Polyhop should. I thought it was like like political hop, like P-O-L-I nope. hop. No, nope. <laughs> no. Nope. It's like poly, poly want a cracker hop. Yes, that's right. All right. Uh, good stuff, Zach. Uh, looking forward to coming back in our next podcast episode, uh, which uh, we are going to over the course of these uh, next uh, few days. Uh, we'll probably be about uh, we'll do three episodes a week uh, for the middle chunk of the season. So we will have episodes uh, 56, 57 and 58 coming out in our next podcast here on Poster Recap. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast feed to not miss an episode either postshowrecaps.com slash iTunes or postshowrecaps.com slash H-O-C iTunes. You could follow the great Zach Brooks on Twitter. He is at BrooksZA. I'm at Rob Sesternino. Zach, anything else? No, I can't wait to see what happens. Uh, it's really hard not to binge this show, but I'm enjoying the uh, chewing my food form of watching House Cards. <laughs> Good stuff. All right. Take care. Don't choke. Bye. Bye.